When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello friends, this is Nemo Martin, creator of Tries Forgotten. I wanted to come in and thank you for checking out our swashbuckling adventure. There are a lot of people on deck at Rusty Quill helping to make this podcast possible, and the best way you can support us and our show is by spreading the word. Tell your friends and pirate nemeses, share us on social media with the hashtag Trice Forgotten, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, maybe even play it on repeat for your aquarium buddies. We are still a small company, and we want to keep bringing more and more work to writers and performers in future seasons. Seasons, but we can only do that if people listen and spread the word. If you want to contribute to us directly and get first word on new projects, behind the scene content, exclusive events, and more, consider joining the Rusty Quill Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash Rusty Quill. Now, please enjoy the episode. Rusty Quill presents Below Decks, a thrice forgotten deep dive. Episode 1. Authenticity in Historical Fiction. Hello, welcome to the first episode of Below Deck, where we dive into some of the research, questions, stories, and generally interesting tangential things that went into making Trice Forgotten. I'm Rafaela, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them, and I am one of the writers on Trice Forgotten, and also excitingly the director for the series. For our first episode, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Nemo and April. Nemo and April, would you introduce yourselves with your pronouns and tell us a little bit about your relationship to the show? Sure. I'm Nemo Martin. My pronouns are they, them, and I am the creator of Trice Forgotten and the lead writer. Yay! Yeah, so relationship to the show is kind of an understatement for you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the captain, really, and this is my ship, and I'm very excited captain to... Nemo. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing this champagne bottle directly at the hull, and... <laughs> wishing it no wait but then i would be oh god i've lost oh metaphor oh no metaphor, it's gone away. <laughs> oh god an april yeah so i am april Sumner. i am the executive production at rusty quill so all the shows that we make i basically oversee and make sure that they happen and attach all the teams to it and it's been a delight working with both of you on this 
Lovely. So for our first episode today, we thought we'd talk a bit about ideas around accuracy and authenticity and issues around those things that might arise in making, not just in a historical fiction, but especially in historical fiction like this, which I think it's fair to say has a slightly alternate history vibe to it that is definitely not your regular pirate narrative it's in a non-western setting and with predominantly queer characters so what does it authenticity and accuracy what do those things actually mean when we make this kind of historical fiction so i wondered if nemo to start with you would tell us about what authenticity and accuracy kind of meant to you when you were conceiving this and maybe you could talk a little bit about pitching the show It's really interesting how authenticity has changed for me during this whole process. So a bit of below decks facts. When I was first pitching this show, it was a lot more food based, food orientated. And I mean, there's still quite a lot of food mentioned in the show as it is now, but there was a lot more about it. And so a lot of the reading that I was doing at the beginning was about colonization's effect on food and global food and stuff like that. And one thing that really helped me when I was thinking about the show was this article that I read by Coral Lee. So what was central to writing Trice Forgotten as a quote-unquote authentic show was squaring the thought that authenticity is a strange word to use when human culture has always been about exchanges and conversations and relationships. And in this Coral Lee article, one quote that stood out to me was, the idea of authenticity suggests one institution or individual has the power to define what is authentic while others do not. My mantra in Trice Forgotten has always been, read as much own voices as I can, read about the relationships that people have had throughout time, especially ones that aren't super written about or in a lot of media and to explore those relationships, I guess. And that became what authentic was to me. So in in light of that, then, maybe this is a a nice segue into talking about the research that went into this, because the flip side of that is, even though exactly as you say, Nemo, authenticity is a funny word to talk about in the context of exchange. And that's something that we found really, really applies to this universe that you've created. Nonetheless, there was a huge amount of research that you did, which was a privilege to look at the reams of research that you did for this. Yeah, to the point where my current Google document is about 150 pages of quotes. And that's not, yeah, I've done quite a lot of reading. I, I don't even know where to start with it. I guess there are like certain different groupings in reading and research that I've done for it. So one of the big things is that I worked for seven years at the Natural History Museum. And so through that, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of the curators and the staff there about people that they had found in the margins of their own research. And so I really did start with this idea of like, there are people behind the white people. (laughs) And that was like really foundational. Like, who are these people behind the white people? Who were the quote unquote boys who were out there doing the research, collecting these specimens, putting down knowledge that they had known for hundreds of years, like culturally had known for hundreds of years, but it only became scientific fact when written down by a white man. 
Do you want to just explain the concept of the the boys, the local boy? Because uh, sure. that's uh, as embodied by Siva in our show. I think the first person that I found who, quote unquote, was considered a boy to a naturalist is a person called Ali Wallace. And he was a local child when a naturalist called Alfred Russell Wallace and he met this boy called Ali and gave him his surname, Wallace. And so this person's job, Ali's job, was to basically go and find specimens, birds, fish, whatever, plants, and bring them to Alfred and Alfred would then write down what they were and, you know, do comparisons and stuff like that. And that's just one person that we have named. And I was so interested in this concept of a boy because I'm sure that Ali was, I mean, eventually became a man, right? But it's such a colonial practice to call colonized men as boy as a way of holding power over them and to ensure that like any knowledge that they have is lesser sort of infantizes them a little bit yeah exactly and with Siva that was always the thing like one of the big things with Siva's arc is his arc as a boy like how he transforms when he understands what it means to be termed like that and <laughs> it's quite funny in my head like you know I'm, I'm quite in fandom and there's like the concept of like this is my little sweet little blobo my little meow meow my boy my child and it's like really difficult because I'm like actually one of the fundamental things about his character is that I don't want him to be a boy by the end of this like I don't want people to consider him a boy it's about growing right exactly yeah but at the same time <laughs> he is <laughs> He does need to grow <laughs> on his own side as well. He has his own growing to go in a different way. And I actually think that brings up a really good point because particularly while we're talking about like authenticity and like what that means with these stories is like it is a fictional story that we're telling. But at the same time, like these peoples and identities and circumstances are very real things that happened. These are like real people uh, in concept anyway who have dealt with these kinds of situations of being infantized or like called a boy but that doesn't take away from the fact that like you know that character's truth so to speak is that they still have growing to do but that is separated from like necessarily their identity that's put upon them from like the colonist circumstance and I read the first pitch that came in for C's back when it was called Seven C's and How to Eat Them <laughs> which was a great title by the way uh, less applicable <laughs> at the moment but great and I think one of the things that we've really been tackling since, like, concept to now, like, getting into editing and releasing of the episodes has been treating these characters with, like, real weight to their stories and real individualism to them. So, like, that sort of sense of authenticity comes through the fact of, like, the loads of research that Nemo did at the initial, like, concept stage and, like, from the writing stage and throughout that, but also, like, all of the work that's gone in from the production stage through our historical consultants, our sensitivity consultants, to make sure that we have as many in our writers, like Raf and Morgan also wrote episodes for us, to make sure that we had lots of people with lots of different experiences that can put their voices into these characters. Yeah, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that one of the big things in this first season at least is the characters are all struggling against the stereotype that has been put upon them and how they interact with a world where sometimes it is legitimate to have to act in a certain way in order to survive. The story and the characters have changed quite a lot since I initially pitched it. 
especially because of sensitivity and things that I'm not and have never considered. There are story arcs that have been fully taken out and walked away from or hedged for further research before we could put it in. I mean, I've definitely expanded a lot of my knowledge. I know that I'm still not 100% perfect. No one can be, no, ever. Yeah, no one person's <laughs> going to have all of the knowledge of the world. That's the the neat thing is how all of these characters are, like, different. Almost all of them are, like, mixed race in some way or have some type of mixed influence in their lives, which I think that was really a good way for you to kind of build into that. Picking up on that, both of those those mentions of no one person can hold all of the knowledge and also, April, as you said, the huge team of people who have come to work on this in terms of sensitivity consultants, in terms of our consultants on accent and on language. We have characters speaking different languages and the way that the show has progressed. I wondered if either of you wanted to talk about that process and through casting as well. Um, we've kind of revised who some of these characters are. Was that a surprise that that happened? Or was that uh, always the plan to kind of go, all right, well, we've got a starting point and actually we're going to grow this through the people who are involved? As a writer, I've always been the kind of person who loves it when actors come in and go, Actually, I think this is what my character would say. <laughs> and I'd be like, hell yeah, dude, like, go for it. This is, again, touching on authenticity and stuff like that. It's really frustrating sometimes. I've been commissioned quite a few times to only talk about being a British mixed race, white and Japanese person who is non-binary, who is neurodiverse and all of those kind of things and writing things about yourself. I mean, I don't want to re-traumatize myself every time by like having to only write about this one kind of thing. And it's also kind of like, you know, I've not exhausted that, but I have friends. I like to write about my friends. I have experiences. I have family. I Nemo have... t-shirt 2022. I have friends. <laughs> I have friends. I swear to God, I have friends. Please believe me. I. Um, but I have friends who have never seen themselves in media and I've seen people lament things that they wish they could have and I like to write those things about them and when an actor comes on and they are of a culture that I am not a part of and they say actually I really like it to be like this then I'm like it speaks to you in a certain way then it should speak to you in a certain way and you can build on this and I haven't been a part of the recordings, but I've been like, the cast have been like telling me about their experiences and what they've been writing. And I'm like, that is fundamentally the spirit of the show, bringing all of these people's excitement and changing our language and stuff like that. So, yeah. Some of my favourite conversations we've had during recording, especially early on for obvious reasons, have been about accent and a lot of our actors... Well, not lots of them, but a fair chunk of our actors are speaking languages as their characters that they don't speak themselves or are encountering pronunciations for the first time. And those have been very sort of joyful conversations where the actors have either gone, OK, I'm going to go away and talk to someone for whom this is, this is a language that they speak. I'm going to listen to them. Or they've come in and quite rightly gone, OK, well, my character says this, but actually this is a second language for them or this is, you know, this is not originally where they come from. And being able to work through the idea of horrible, horrible cliche, but that this region of the Indian Ocean is, is a melting pot of lots of different people from lots of different places who have not just a primary cultural language but a secondary and a tertiary and a 
fourthery one. I don't know what the <laughs> court. I don't think any of our characters are from like one singular place, or you know haven't left it to meld into other cultures or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You get lovely character notes where you get to hear a character speaking a language, and it is what's supposed to be one of their sort of first languages, and then another character speaking the same, and you know that it's not their first. Language. So that's going to affect. You know, do they know how to pronounce this accurately? To go back to that word. One of my favourite terms is this term I learned from my Southeast Asian friends called rojak languages. And so rojak is a, a salad in Indonesia and it's like kind of like loads of, yeah, it's like a mixed salad that you mix it together. And so a rojak language is like a language like maybe used in Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, which has like so many, again, melting pot, quote unquote, <laughs> languages where everything is like tossed together into a beautiful tasty salad as it should and like some people you know learning languages and trying to recall languages trying to find your identity when you're taken out of that that's all like diaspora is obviously a big thing in this yeah it's just really exciting that I got to write this I say as if I didn't pitch it but that does segue into something lovely which that that I've been thinking about in relation to these ideas of authenticity and accuracy which is um you know a third word that sometimes comes into this conversation is universality things that are universal which is a really tricky and i think more problematic than not concept because very often it everything gets collapsed into the experience of being a white western man and those experiences are universal hamlet gets to be universal you know but there are certain things like you know i just thinking about the diasporic experiences my family is Jewish on one side and Italian on the other side. And when I was writing beginning of episode two, when uh, Siva is with her nanny, nanny as I wrote her is based on my Italian nana. And it's a scene of cooking and it's a scene of a grandmother or grandmother figure being like, oh God, you've got no respect for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are some shapes of experience, I think, that carry across different diasporas and different um yeah global experiences and it's it's been absolutely similar to what you were saying april to kind of get in touch with those and go god i really do access my my two cultures through food yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah food is clearly so intrinsic so I want to go back and pick up on something else uh, that you said, Nima, because we're definitely writing ideas of colonisation in this slightly alternate history universe, but that is, you know, a hair's breadth away from, from our own universe. So I wondered if we could also talk a little more about queer characters within this universe, but also I know as well that we've definitely got neurodiverse characters in this show without necessarily the language of saying that they're neurodiverse. So we to talk about that. Yeah, it's been really interesting because, like, I know that it's going to be fairly obvious that a lot of these characters are autistic, and that is on purpose. And it's really hard when you don't have the, like, in-universe language to talk about those things, nor is, like, written down on their character sheet as being non-binary, but that's never said as a word on the show. And it's not that I think that these words didn't exist at the time or these concepts didn't exist at the time but it's just been a really interesting conversation about language and how we use it and asexuality is a big thing that I've been thinking about in these characters as well transness I mean Elizabeth in the first episode Elizabeth doesn't use any pronouns 
And it's really hard when I, as a human being, and, you know, in a lot of my writing that's set in the contemporary period, would have characters just say, my pronouns are they, them, or I don't use pronouns. (laughs) And this I had Elizabeth be like, call me doctor. And that is respected. And it was foundational when we were creating this Bible. I was like, we're never going to have like a transphobic hate crime happen on air nor is gendered in a certain way in uh, an episode. There's never going to be like, oh, you're a trans person and so I'm attacking you for that. Same way for race. I mean, it's kind of hard because we're talking about colonization and all of the characters in this, again, alternate time period have to consider what race they are because that's the world that they live in. I think that brings up a really good point too because one of the things that we've discussed a few times and I think part of why we wanted to add in these sort of blow decks like context episodes is so that we can talk about these things that we don't necessarily want to talk explicitly about in the series for multiple reasons because I know that there's a lot of ideas that we've had for the characters and a lot of things that we want to explore particularly around like race and gender that if we were to actually explore it authentically within the series could end up re-traumatizing some people so we have to sort of take some creative liberties in order to make sure that like we're being able to make something that is entertaining and something that people can engage with while still not overlooking sort of the real aspects that would have existed around like trans identity and racial identities particularly in exploring those within colonial contexts and We, I think, have done a lot to try to make sure that we're addressing them without being harmful. And I I think that that's something that we've been really active about making sure that we're sort of focusing on throughout the whole of the series. But I think that it's been really good that it's been a conscious decision. I think where both of you have found the balance absolutely beautifully is that these queer characters get to live their queer lives. It's not... um, certain tv shows i could i could name that like it's so it's so beautiful because you see we imply it but we never say it it's like yeah so we never get to see queer characters doing anything queer and the absence of contemporary language in the show it's going back to this idea of of accuracy maybe someone wouldn't have used the term non-binary they probably would have used something not dissimilar to that there are some characters that are coming up that i think that they're addressed really well with like i have specific non-binary-esque pronouns we also have characters can't talk can't name names um but we've never we have characters also who in future episodes we will see them in romantic and or sexual relationships with people of the same gender and you know when we're not using specific words from the lgbtq plus acronym but there is a very hesitant of using the word freedom because i feel like it's an argument that's kind of used against in a sort of queer phobic way but there is a lovely very transgressive and freeing about having a cast of characters who are like yeah i mean I'm just going around living my gay life like <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> and it's there and it's on the page and it's in it's in the podcast Yeah, and I think that that's from the Rusty Quill perspective when we were actually looking at what series we want to commission and what we want to look into. One of the things we were particularly drawn to this is like, A, particularly Nemo, how you spoke about the project and your obvious like knowledge and research that went into it, but also that concept of the fact that like there absolutely were queer people in the 17, 1800s 
and being able to actually explore what those lives might have been like or like could have been like is just a really great thing to actually get a chance to highlight and show a little bit more light on. That's actually a very nice segue into, I want to go back to asking you a specific historical question, Nemo, from your research, which is the time period we're in is a little bit of an amalgam of almost a span of a couple of centuries. But I just suddenly occurred to me, is there something that kind of, I mean, a lot of the, you can absolutely challenge this from a historical perspective, but that like a lot of the very, very rigorous binary Christian moral code colonisation is a Victorian product and we're slightly pre-Victorian than so far as we're matching ourselves up to actual kind of periods in history. Did that come into it at all? Vaguely. So there's a concept called Pax Britannica and it's a period between 1815 and 1914, which is Britain's imperial century. And so vaguely, in my head, this show has aspects of it that are on the early side of that so 1815 to 1840 there's no specific date that really it's set but i would say 1840s is kind of where we are and it's really sometimes dates are really have to be very specific because of things like when was slavery abolished like that is a well a singular date it's not do you know when was slavery abolished is a really difficult question it's very long <laughs> yeah it's a very big question but like there are certain dates where a law went to pass and things like that and i didn't really want us to be like having to fit things into like this specific thing happened on august the 4th 1833 but equally, like, things that really excite me are things like stamps. Nemo, I have friends, teacher. <laughs> I have friends. I have friends and just uh, pictures of stamps. Just... <laughs> okay, but, oh my God, best story. One of the first things that I did when I was researching this thing was that I was like, you know, one of those websites that you find and it is like clearly made in like the early 2000s and it's got loads of like <laughs> little pictures. Oh, on yeah, it. yeah. The uh, the abandoned geocities, the ancient ruins of the Internet. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's these stamp collectors that I found who had loads of, like, original stamps from, like, the 1830s and stuff like that. And so I was like, no way that this email still works. Like, clearly this has been abandoned hundreds of years ago and, like, these people are probably dead. (laughs) But I emailed this really nice couple and was like, hey, if I was trying to send a letter from here to here in this time period, what stamp would they have used? And they got back to me in, like, an hour and they were like, hi, we don't have the exact answer to this, but we're going to look through every book right now. We'll come back to you in a couple of hours. And, like, literally four hours later, they were like, here's the exact stamp they would use. (laughs) It's in this book. Here's a, like, scanned copy that we we found for you i hope that answers your question please let us know if there's anything else that you want and it's just like these people who love stamps and uh, it just really excites me there have been some delightful people working yeah on. yeah for sure <laughs> in this series you won't see the exact stamp that i am talking about but know that i know what stamps there are on the letters that are being <laughs> sent that is a very important behind the scenes fact <laughs> Yeah, know that I am clear which characters are autistic and asexual and what stamps are used. (laughs) These are all very important information. (laughs) I also feel like, again, going back to authenticity versus accuracy, I think something that exposes that they are different things, exactly the fact, as you said, Nemo, that um, 
we're not having to go well this law was enacted on this date and i've worked out it's exactly three years and seven months since that happened in the timeline of the show but what you do have is stamps but what you also have is so many of the communities that are represented in the show are real historical communities of people often mixed communities of people that came together and again i'm being vague on purpose because this potentially contains spoilers for future episodes but mixed communities of people that came together that lived together all through you know the last few hundred years and being able to place them side by side allows you to make a story out of them in a way that kind of very sort of didactic bowing to like no it's it's our universe and these are the dates wouldn't allow so much even stories these days like it's almost a trope of itself nowadays that you have like the single person of color friend who is like by themselves in a white friendship group and like families especially media that does explore like diaspora and stuff like that there have been some really beautiful films and tv shows that have come out recently that are own voice kind of shows everything everywhere all at once recently made me cry quite a lot it was very relevant to me but like i have never seen really a family like mine which i have family that are singaporean tamil who live in Vietnam, who are mixed race, and I have family who are Japanese from all over Japan, and I have family who are white Australian, and I have family who are Hong Kong Chinese, and my school, when I was in secondary school, my friendship group was majority Afro-Caribbean second generation, or Sri Lankan second generation, or Gujarati And in that friendship group, I was the whitest person. (laughs) Um, I really just wanted to have a friendship slash family group that was like mine. And to have these people have failures and it not just be a like, here are these glorious people of color who can do no wrong. Like they get on each other's nerves and they piss each other off and they don't know how to interact with each other a lot of the time. But fundamentally i do think that they do love each other and they're learning how to love each other in a, in a world that hasn't allowed them to love themselves and i really wanted them to like support each other or maybe because they've never been supported by other people and yeah i mean that was why i created the show I'm getting all emotional from this again. I love listening to you talk about this series. (laughs) I'm loving this too because everyone's getting an insight into like, we've been working on this series for like a year and a half now, I think, Nima. Like it was like two Christmases ago or whatever that we actually first started talking. And and it's just the passion that you have for like these, these characters. And like, that's what makes them authentic. That's what brings the reality to them because they're real to you and like they're hopefully to our audiences as they're listening to it it becomes real to them i have friends their names are alestes (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) they're they're real and i know every fact about them and in fact i have been told that i need to make my show bible shorter because I do, uh, this is sort of a, a side note, but I do digital art and stuff, and so I follow a lot of uh, digital artists, and I think they get that way about their OCs sometimes, their original characters, and they'd be like, no, I know everything about them, and they're wonderful, and I need everyone else to love them too, and yeah, but I think these characters have some real life to them, and I 
also love the yeah i i'm really excited like i hope that there will be people who enjoy these characters as much as i do and and working with raf and morgan as well was so beautiful because they have developed a lot since i first wrote them and kind of handing them over to raf and morgan i wasn't scared at all because i love them both as writers and the way that these characters have flourished under them as well, like <laughs> Raph and Morgan's episodes, I'm like, I read them and I was like, wow, these are my favorite episodes. <laughs> um, and like the character journeys that they go on and stuff. Yeah. And, and so I'm really excited to see how listeners will interact with this as well and how these characters will flourish in fandom. <laughs> like, I'm really excited for that. And At the risk of this becoming too much of a, a love-in, I will just say, um, <laughs> when you asked me to come on board with this series, um, I was absolutely thrilled and I was a little bit scared because I was like, oh, I really feel like I'm entering into a universe that I don't know anything about, apart from, like, I love pirates. Um, and as soon as I read the show Bible, I was like, oh, I know who they are. I know who these characters are. And this has been one of the most fun writing jobs I've had. Like, honestly, because, yeah, they're just so, like, clear and alive uh, in who they are. And then also then having the privilege of getting to be the director of the series as well, getting to see new things in the characters that the actors bring to them. Um, There's this whole side of Noor that Gigi, uh, who plays them, has kind of brought to them, where it's almost had me, like only in my episodes that I've written like just rewriting little bits on the fly kind of being like oh yeah could you say this instead getting to watch the actors and how much they've been able to like build on and put into those characters has been really great and this casting process like circle back because I think we talked a little bit too about casting was but like the casting process for this took a long time probably twice as long as our our normal casting processes because we really wanted to make sure that we we found like the right people for it. I know like Nemo did a really great job of us just sitting down and being like, no, like I think we can get a better person for this role. And I think the cast that we've had and getting to watch them bring those characters to life and getting to watch like what you've been able to pull out of them, Raph, has been an absolute treasure. Ha, treasure. Hey. Ha. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I know like Vic, who plays Baker, I know like that was one of the ones where we actually went in and changed a little bit of Baker's backstory because Vic was so right for that character. And we wanted to make sure that like that was still authentic for that person to be playing that character. And I think that was probably one of the ones that obviously it's going to be touched on and stuff later. But yeah, we've sort of changed some directions with what we were going with some of the characters to make sure that it fit with the people who were playing them. And that's been a really great thing to get to be a part of. And like, you know, those casting things kind of made me go back to the research and think about push it further, I guess, actually. And I am really excited to think about these characters again and to develop them further. And yeah. It's just so cool to work on this show. <laughs> These episodes are just going to be like, I love working on this show. Yes. <laughs> just to, to add another one, when we were we were recording today, and one of our cast members, this is just to give you listeners a sense of how many happy tears have been shed in this production. <laughs> um, one of our actors sort of went, yeah, so I was reading this script the other day. I was in bits. Um <laughs> 
So it's spreading. It's spreading through the production. Mm. Everyone's very emotional all the time. Yes, I'm looking forward to making more of these. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so cool. I get to write this show. I'm so... like. I mean, this is my first real credit. And I was so scared throughout this process because as a writer have written things before and have been in some writers rooms before but I've never been the showrunner before I've never created like I've never had a show that I've created have so many people work on it and <laughs> yeah it's just really exciting that's not what this episode of Below Decks is about but I have learned a lot I've grown a lot and I'm really excited and thank you to Rusty Quill for <laughs> for seeing someone who like had basically no production credits and being like yeah we'll put time effort and money behind this thank you for pitching it to us you are an extremely generous showrunner and also have not yet got annoyed at me messaging you going um yeah so this bit of currency do you, do you say it like this or like the what, what is what's this word Nemo um oh, the currency oh god <laughs> like talking about authenticity and accuracy my god if anyone who has a special interest in currency wants to freaking come on board <laughs> jesus there's been some very niche topics that have come up in development i have a question for graph if uh if you don't mind um i was gonna ask like in terms of us talking about like authenticity and sort of what that means like you've done a lot of work in bringing underrepresented characters to stage and, and to life and things like that. So like, what does that mean to you then in terms of like authenticity of the characters in, from a director's perspective or from, you know, working with these these performers who are playing these characters? Like you, you wrote a couple of the episodes and now you're moving to directing. So you talked a little bit about like changing some of the lines of the ones that you've read. But like now that it's actually, we've recorded like a, a quite a bit of the series now, I'm wondering sort of your thoughts on how that process has kind of evolved, particularly moving from writing to directing. Well, the thing I, I'm always interested in, I think, as a writer and as a director, is um, surprise, which kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of suspense. But I like to think of it as surprise. I, I like the moment when a scene or a line or a character just swerves in a way that you're not expecting them to swerve. Um, I think there's a real pleasure as an audience member in being able to predict the actions of a character so only so far. Because if you can predict some of their actions, it means that you know them. You can anticipate their responses to things, which means you understand them on some level, no matter what kind of character they are. And then it, the moment where they step away from what you expect them to do becomes all the more exciting. And I think that is really the guiding principle that I have used, especially in bringing underrepresented characters to stage, because that's, um, or to audio as the case may be, um, it's exactly as Nemo said, we have characters here who are fighting against the stereotypes that, that they are perceived as or even if it's not as kind of conscious as that kind of live in a world that is happy to be reductive about them so the idea of surprise the idea of stepping away from what you anticipate that someone is going to do I think becomes even more important for these characters and actually that works both ways that's both kind of on a on a meta level you might come into a piece like this and go oh I bet they're going to subvert expectations and, da -da -da. <laughs> and that's and that's what that's, that's what leads to what, what you're thinking about look look at this flawless cast of people of colour like look at these flawless queer characters but actually no sometimes the thing that is a surprise is they make a wrong choice 
for themselves or for someone else um so yeah and so that's a very long answer but that's the thing that i'm most interested in dramatically and I, it's the thing that serves these characters really well um just finding an unexpected their color. flaws make them authentic yeah. their flaws make them authentic but also just kind of yeah these sort of unexpected colors in them sort of going it's great to give a character who maybe is usually more serious and just throw them a very funny little line where you're like oh that's another little side to that person i didn't know was there that to me feels very true to life and it's very nice to discover mm. I think we shall draw things to a close. This has been a lovely and unexpectedly self-gratifying first episode. <laughs> yeah. Good job, us. Well done, us. Excellent and great. And we can do no oh. wrong. And actually, all of our characters and all of us are flawless and no one can criticise us at all. So I, I actually like it. to think that we made the opposite argument. Like The characters are flawed and I think the important thing to leave off with is that we're not going to get everything right. We've put a lot of effort into this series to make sure that we can get things as accurate or as authentic sort of as possible, given the fact that like it is fiction and it is these characters' truths, but like we aren't speaking for any any particular people. We're just trying to bring the stories that we know to life and, and make those real. I hope what we have shown is that if you bring us some new information, we'll grow what we have. Yeah. Mm. And maybe it'll be about stamps. And maybe it'll be stamps. I, every episode from now on is just going to be about stamps. I'm going to, that's a Nemo <laughs> promise. We'll talking about like a Patreon thing. Maybe we can give you your own like stamp show on Patreon. Please do. Uh, yeah. Let's bring episode one to a close there. Episode one of Below Deck in which Nemo has friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I am never escaping this. So yeah. <laughs> Goodbye from me, Ralph. Uh, and... Just say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being my friends, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Dice Forgotten is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Like 4.0 International License. The series is created by Nemo Martin and directed by Rafaela Marcus. Today's episode featured Rafaela Marcus, Nemo Martin, April Sumner, and was edited by Nico Vatese and Catherine Renella. Tries Forgotten is produced by Ian Gears and production manager Natasha Johnston with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. To subscribe, view associated materials, or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online. Tweet us at TheRustyQuill. Visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.